This is Jimmy Scroggins. I'm the lead pastor at Family Church in West Palm Beach, Florida. Are you tired of going to conferences, reading books, and listening to speakers who tell you how to do church when you know that you cannot do what they are recommending? You've come to the right place on our podcast. We're going to give you principles, strategies, and ideas that you can implement right now with the resources you have at your church because this is church for the rest of us. Welcome back to Church for the Rest of Us. We're so glad you've joined us today. And I'm here with my good friend and fellow pastor, Eric Kelly. Eric is a bivocational pastor. He serves as the campus pastor for our most recent launch, Family Church Village. He's the president of the Quantum Foundation here in West Palm Beach. It's a private healthcare funding agency. Eric has had a distinguished career in both state government and other nonprofit agencies. He's also planted two autonomous churches prior to coming to serve as a teaching pastor and now a campus pastor, a lead pastor at Family Church Village. So Eric, we're so glad that you're here. It means a lot to me that you give us some of your time. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about you and your family and your background and how you got into the ministry? All right. Thank you, Jimmy. It's good to be here with you. My wife and I, Kira, we have four children, Madison, yeah. Mason, Miles, Malachi. We love the M's <laughs> and our house wasn't busy enough. So we went and got a dog. We rescued a dog and named her Meadow. <laughs> so uh, we've been raising our family by and with God's design. My wife and I did not come from what we call a intact family, if you right. will, a traditional family. We both grew up single mom. So our family to us is, is all about how we get God's design uh, for family, right? I want to talk a little bit about the ministry and how I came to ministry as a kid growing up in the housing projects. We didn't have the way my children have church. And as a family, right. we wake up on Sunday mornings. Right. I mean, my mom worked six days a week. She was tired on Sundays. And so a lot of times we'd go to church with our uncle, who was the superintendent of Sunday school. But I remember <laughs> as a little kid, I always wanted to be in church. And I just remember the sense of wanting to be in church. Fast forward many years through college. And uh, right out of college, went to Florida State University. Right out of college, I started sensing a call of ministry. And it was there in Tallahassee, Florida, at uh, Greater Mount Pleasant Missionary Baptist Church. Yeah. Or in the Missionary Greater Baptist. Mount uh, Pleasant Greater, Missionary Baptist. You got to have lots of, lots <laughs> of names. a lot of syllables, man. I acknowledge the call of ministry there, Jimmy. And so that brings me here into this place in my life. All right. So you and Kira have been married how long? 20 years this year. All right. And your children are how old? Give us an age span. Matt is 16, Mason's 14, Miles is 12, and Malachi just turned nine. And Meadow is? Meadow's two, which in dog years is what? <laughs> 20 years. I, yeah, I don't know what it is. <laughs> All right. So look, when did you come to Family Church and why did you come to Family Church? Came to Family Church, I think it's about about nine years ago. I had served in helping to plant and launch two churches, which by the way, as you know, I had never heard the term church plant until that is so funny. I met I know. you. After the second church plant, we were looking to get our family settled. The children were much younger. This is, you know, you go back nine years, the children were younger. And so we needed time as a family to come and worship together and let the children learn together. So heard about family church through a colleague who was a member here at uh, then First Baptist Church, now Family Church, who told me about the ministry, told me about you. So we came. You came anyways. We, yeah, yeah. In spite of hearing about, you know, we came for our first visit. And what I loved about it was we were sitting in the pew. And I remember where we were sitting. You were preaching from the sermon series of Romans nine years ago. And here we are back yeah, in another Roman right. series. And that Sunday, you were preaching from the subject, 
who chooses who. All right. Although the grammar is bad now, kids. Yeah, yeah, it is bad. <laughs> Who's choosing who? And it was about election and God's sovereignty. And when you said that, I thought, man, I can't wait to hear how this guy's going to tackle such a, a tough subject. And you made it easy. And I sent a note. I wrote a note to my wife and I handed it to Kieran. I said, this is the place. And it was in that sermon that I realized we were in the right place. Well, it was really awesome. I remember when you guys came and I met you and you started telling me, hey, I'm a pastor. And I was like, oh, I thought you were just on vacation or something. Mm-hmm. You're like, no, I'm a pastor, but I'm a bivocational guy, and I've planted these two. And so I said, oh, you're a church planter. And you're like, what? Yeah, yeah. And it was so funny because I guess in your context and the way that you did it, you didn't realize there's like a whole industry built around church planting. Had no idea. You know, in, in our community, and I, I'm careful not to ever lump all of our community, being right. black or African-American community and, and historically black churches into one segment. But you know, historically, I'd only seen pastors who were in their churches for years. You know, you stay for 50, 60 years. There was no branching out. There was no starting up new churches. But I was asked to come into the inner city of Riviera Beach here in Palm Beach County and help start a church out of a substance abuse facility. Had no sense of how you do that. Didn't know that there was literature around how to do that. Didn't know people were doing it. I just love the Lord. And I was crazy enough to go and believe God was going to do something in that community. And he did. Yeah, and later did. I found out that there was an easier way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad that you did. So your family starts coming to family church. Yeah. I find out you're a church planter. I meet Kira and all of your children. I find out that you guys grew up in Florida. Kristen and I, my wife and I grew up in Florida. Our families both homeschool our kids. Yeah. So actually we have a lot in common and uh, we became friends. And so I guess for the sake of this conversation, we should go ahead and let on. I think they're kind of aware. Okay, I'm a white guy. You're a black guy. I don't think either one of us were confused about that. We got from, that. We got from, that part. We yeah. got that clear from the time we yeah. met. But as we've become better and better friends, we've had some really hard conversations about race. And to be very honest uh, with our listeners and with you, Eric, you know this. These conversations have helped me become a better Christian because of my relationship with you. I'm a better husband. I'm a better father. I'm a better follower of Christ. I'm a better pastor. And these conversations have changed my thinking. You help me see things in a way that I never have seen them before. And I'm so grateful for that. So that's why we're going to get to the topic for the day. The topic is inclusivity and why we believe churches need to move beyond diversity to inclusivity. You're the one who taught me the distinction between these terms. So Eric, how do you explain the difference between diversity and inclusivity? Yeah. I mean, you look at the very root of the word. So diversity, diverse, different. What we recognize is diversity is you get different people in one place. All right. It is diverse. Right. Inclusive is now you include all people in that same place. The challenge we've had, not only in church, as a bivocational guy, I work in the marketplace, so not only in church, but in business and industry. We have all of the diversity ventures that simply say, we want to get different people in the same room. Right. That's diversity. Okay. Well, in South Florida, that's not hard to do. No, that's, that's exactly not hard right. to do. Well, we do live in an integrated environment that's more integrated. A lot of our listeners are in the, are in the deep South yeah. and, or the Midwest, and they don't live in an integrated environment. Their city may be diverse, but their churches, their neighborhoods, their schools may not be integrated. South Florida, just so everybody's clear, we all live in the same neighborhoods. We go to the same stores, we go to the same schools. There's just not that kind of segregation for the most part. Which is why inclusivity happens, I believe, in communities like ours. It's a little more expedited because we realize diversity is not an option here. So diversity says you get different people in the same place, Mm -hmm. but they're still different. Right. And this is where our diversity ventures fail. They're still different. The black guy that they cherry picked to come into the room is still the guy sitting in the corner, rarely at the tables of decision making. Right. And so inclusivity says, though, that we are not only different, 
in the same place, but we become the same at the same table in the same place. And for me, inclusivity means decisions are being made with and by the same influence with all parties. Diversity says we want you in the room. You make the room different and diverse. Inclusivity says we want you in the room. You're different in some ways, but the same in every way that brings you to the table of decision making. And I think that's a really vital distinction. And to be totally honest, for a lot of our listeners, their churches are not diverse yet. Right. You really can't be inclusive until, until you're diverse first. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to move through diversity to inclusion. Would you agree with that? I agree. And I, I don't have a social science to back that ideology, right. but you, you think of it that I think of it that way. I, right. We first are diverse. We get many who are different in one place. And right. then from that, all voices become the same. Yeah, but then I, you're so able I say to, we move through that. To that bring them continuum. to the table of decision making. Now, I have to be honest. And that's kind of one of my spiritual gifts is is directness, right? So let me peel back the curtain a little bit. When I'm hanging out with white pastors, and it's all white pastors, we're riding in a car, we're sitting in a room. Mm-hmm. Most white pastors that I know actually want to do something about the problem of lack of diversity or lack of inclusivity in our churches. They want to, but they'll say, look, I'm very frustrated because I'm having a hard time finding minorities to hire onto our staff or to bring into our church that are qualified to do it and that are willing to come and be a part of our team. And so that's a frustration. They want to be multicultural, but they're like, I just can't get there. But something about that's wrong. Like Whenever we're having that conversation, I feel a little bad that I'm in the room having it because I think there's something like kind of racist about the conversation. But how does that strike you? Well, you know, start with the word minority. Start with that. I mean, that's where the paradigm fails. It's epic fail from that very moment because that that language implies there is a majority that wins and a minority that's smaller. So the setting that up in that paradigm, first and foremost, makes it difficult to understand inclusivity, which is equality. Well, so for a guy, a white guy, a pastor saying, hey, I'm having a hard time finding a minority. Well, the issue is really, I'm having a hard time understanding even the idea of people who are different than me. Right. Minority is a class that we just lump. So do I, do, do you mean you want to meet someone who is of African descent from the Aspen, African diaspora? You want to meet someone from the islands? Are you talking about someone from Latin America? So I would challenge us, first of all, to, to unpack minority right. and start thinking of people as people, which leads me to trying to find a minority. So let's first take that word out of the the conversation. Who are you looking for? People who may be different and different how. Then the question becomes, are you looking for a person that's different that you want to be your equal at the table? Right. Or are you looking for, and by the way, you said we can be very honest in this conversation, or are you looking for a token black? All right. Or a token minority. Right. Whatever it is. Whatever it is. Because if we're looking to become inclusive, what we're really saying is we want to understand who's different, how are they different, and how can we bring them in to bring their voice to the table to help shape our environments and our cultures. You know, looking for for the guys who are listening who say, okay, Eric, th- this is me. I really do need help with this. We begin with saying, let's stop talking about minorities. Let's start understanding the demographics of our, of our communities. Right. Uh, pull some demographics. Who's in our community? Let's start asking, how do we in our organization, how do we begin to speak, not language as in speak another language, how do we begin to speak to the interest of those communities? How do I begin to acknowledge that there are people living in our communities, around our church, from different backgrounds, race, ethnicity, and then begin to make that comfortable? One of the things I think we've done here at Family Church very well, Jimmy, and you've done is you've created a place where people can come, no matter what the background is. We don't feel like minorities here. We feel like we are people who bring a valued experience from our background, our race, ethnicity, 
other geographies. So A, let's move from minority to demographics specific. B, let's stop looking for what I'm going to call the token hunt and look for people who bring diverse and inclusive opinions to shaping a culture. But the work of the leader is to create an environment where that culture is already accepting Mm -hmm. of that demographic. Does that make sense? Are you following that? I think what you're saying is, hey, look, if I am in an all-white church, basically, the way to get more black people to come to my church is not to hire a black guy first off, necessarily. That's right. Not necessarily. Right. But to hire a black guy doesn't necessarily do it for you. You kind of want to create an environment where African-Americans or people, you know, black people feel comfortable coming already. And then let that person bubble up. And I, I'll give you an example, Jimmy, of something you have done and you're real intentional about. It. And we'll probably talk more about this later. You know, in your messages, in your illustration, in comments that you make from the platform, you honor all people of all race, of all background, of all ethnicity. And so if, if I'm a black guy sitting, I happen to stumble upon First Baptist Church or family church. And I'm sitting there and I see this six foot, four, five, bald white guy honoring my history my people, I'm going to tell my friends, hey, you want to come by and see this? And so it's not getting a black guy on the platform. It's whomever's from the platform speaking into that room and making that room comfortable for that demographic. Yeah. And I think that's so important because I do think this has to be intentional. And I will say, I don't by any stretch consider myself an expert in this. I don't think that we've done it perfectly. I don't think that we're doing it perfectly now, but I will say we are doing this intentionally. And I think that our intentionally, our intentionality about being multi-campus, multi-generational, multicultural has really borne a lot of good fruit. And we've learned a lot. We've made a lot of mistakes and we probably still will. But the reason that it's intentional, one of the things you and I talk about a lot, Eric, is like even our friendship, we've said we're going to be friends. We're committed to that because this is a gospel issue for us mm-hmm. because we believe that Jesus Christ has died on the cross mm-hmm. for the sins of all people mm-hmm. and that he's brought us together, whether we like it or not, and made us one family under the blood of Jesus. And so we have no choice but to figure out a way to honor one another as brothers, forgive one another as brothers, and walk forward together as brothers who are saved by Jesus, because we believe that it changes some of the way we might think or talk when we're having these conversations. And I think that's been powerful for both of us. Yeah. Well, one of the things I remember, Jimmy, is you and I were having breakfast at Nick Diner, Nick yeah. Diner one day, and it was a tough conversation we were having. And I remember you said to me, you said, Eric, it's a gospel issue. And at the foot of the cross, all things are equal. Now, I remember what I initially thought. I thought it's really easy for you as a white boy to say it's a gospel issue and it should all be equal at the cross because, well, you're already ahead. Yeah, It's easy to say right. it's equal when you're ahead. But one of the things I even say to my contemporaries, men of color, black men, brothers who are or not, if you will, majority, it really is a gospel issue. There are some sin issues that brought us to this place of yes, inequity. Sir. And we can't undo that. We nope. can't undo the sin nature that brought us here. But what we can do is recognize that Jesus really did. He made all things equal at the cross. So that changed the course of the way I think. So at the beginning, at the talk, you said how you have become a better man, Jimmy, from our friendship. And I have too. One of the things I'll admit is I was still bitter. Even as a pastor, yeah. I was still bitter about the past of what had happened. And being your friend has helped me realize that it really is a gospel issue. And I see a guy like you trying. We're both trying. Yeah. Not perfect at doing yeah. this. But those kinds of statements really do help. And that's one of the things I believe that is true of the Bible. You know, it's what St. Paul said. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's nor male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And, and that's the way pastors and churches, we've got to start from that place. 
I don't think there's any doubt. So as a pastor, Eric, I'm going to throw these things out there. You feel free to interact at any time. Four things that I consider, and I've thought a lot about this. You and I have talked. And I'd like to just put these out for the consideration of our listeners when it comes to moving from diversity to inclusivity. Okay, number one, I want to ask this question. Who can I speak into the room? You alluded to this a little bit earlier. But uh, when I came to family church, there were fewer black people. There were fewer Hispanics then than there are now. There were a few mixed race couples than there are now. And one of the things that we've tried to do is say, look, every week I get up there and go, hey, listen, everybody's welcome at family church. If you're black, if you're white, if you're Hispanic, if you're Asian, if you're living together, if you're married, if you're gay, if you're straight, if you're everybody's welcome to come to family church and we're all going to learn to repent and believe in Jesus together. Well, just saying that. Little things like that, as you may think that sounds trite, I'm telling you, people tell me that's why they come. So people say, hey, you know what? I will bring my Mm brother-in-law. I'm going to ask them to come because I know when they come to this church, they're not going to get a bunch of Republican mumbo jumbo, a bunch of Democrat mumbo jumbo. They're not going to get a bunch of sideways political or cultural statements that are going to be offensive. They're not going to get a bunch of jokes, you know, Adam and Steve jokes and all that kind of stuff. You come here, we're going to try to be inclusive. So I think speaking people into the room, if you don't have those people in the room right now, start talking to them, Mm -hmm. even though they're not here yet. And it... I do believe there's something to that, that they will begin to come. Secondly, I do think there's a question, you know, you talked about we don't want to get the token. On the other hand, I do think asking once you get some of the people in the room, who can we put on the platform? That's right. right. Because when people see somebody that looks like them on the platform, they do step back and they say, well, look at there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like you've even talked to me about the music. We get somebody up there who sings some gospel music like you grew up with. Yeah. You start getting happy. I mean, it's the way it is. Yeah. And so I think that's important. And even things like, you know, we've had chairman of our deacons that have been African-American. We've had pastors like yourself, worship leaders and others that that are African-American. And that's been, I think, important. But we didn't do it as tokenism. That's right, Jamie. The difference what we do here is we're in the room. That's right. We come to the platform because we were first in the room. Yeah. We weren't cherry picked from outside to come into the platform. Well, that's true. These are people who are already in the room. I met Village because I was in the room. I came through family church DNA and culture. So I came, you didn't go out and try to find the best little black guy you could find to be proud of (laughs) to put up on the platform, (laughs) uh, make sure you didn't say the wrong thing. I was here. You know, you and I are friends. And so you brought it into the room. That's the difference is you bring them into the room and then the platform is the natural next step. All right. So we talked about speaking people into the room, putting people on the platform. Third question I'd ask, how could I use more quotes? images, sources, etc., from more diverse places so that I'm not constantly, you know, I'm a Southern guy. I like rock and roll. If all the lyrics that I quote are Leonard Skinner lyrics, okay, that's going to say something. All right. But I think just saying, hey, what about, you know, there's a lot of sources out there that you can use. There are theologians, there are pastors, there are preachers, there are artists, there are singers. Let's try purposely to bring those things in because I don't know if you remember, like last year we put, there was a little clip in one of our little videos of the Obamas. I remember. Right? Well, some people really didn't like that. Mm-hmm. But and I some you who really liked did it, like it. You know who liked it? All the black people. That's exactly right. We <laughs> noticed it. Yeah. Well, that was what was so funny is the, the evil emails were balanced by the thank you emails. Yeah. And I was actually jarred by it because I kind of expected the evil emails I really was like, well, what do you know? Well, and here's the thing about that, Jimmy. And I remember very well, I was at Village and I remember seeing it and I froze for a moment. And because we're friends, I said, no, he didn't. 
<laughs> yes, he really did. But here's the thing that strikes me about that. You don't have to have a political bent. This wasn't a political issue. Whatever the political issues are with, with Barack Obama, the fact is one man married to one woman, yeah. raising a family together. Yeah. There's certain values that we can agree to. And so seeing that guy and his wife on video screen for a guy like me who's trying to do the exact same thing meant a lot. Yeah. It meant a lot. So there was intentionality there. Yeah. And so we try to do that. And I would encourage other guys to do it. It gives us a different perspective. Unless people know that I know they are out there and that I'm not asking Eric to become a Leonard Skinner officiando. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm saying to Eric, hey, Eric, as bumbling and stumbling as I am, I tried to quote from Martin Luther King and Maya Angelou and, you know, mm-hmm. somebody and else. you so, have. So and at least have. you know, yeah. brother's trying. Yeah. Well, it's real, real quick. I was at Village a few weeks ago and I was using an illustration and Ashford and Simpson, which was a R&B duet. Thank you. Back in the day. Yes. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yes. Well, what you'll find interesting is I threw out a question. And it was some of the white folk in the room at Village who knew Ashford and Simpson. There and you go. so I said to myself, well, look here, yeah. who knew it? But the point there is, you know, we do want, we want to have fun with it, but we also want everyone in the room to know we honor you, your background, the things that are important to you, Jimmy. And again, I want to say this, man, you've done an amazing job being intentional at that here at Family Church. Well, I'm trying. And you helped me a lot with that. Last thing, number four, is I think that all of us need to practice intentional empathy. And that doesn't matter what race we are. All of us need to, and what I mean by empathy is not sympathy. Mm-hmm. Hey, I feel sorry for you because this and this and this. And frankly, nobody wants a pity party. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we should be doing that in churches. However, I do think we should say, look, there are real events and there are real forces that have brought us to this point that you alluded to earlier. There are sinful things that have happened. There are shameful things that have happened that have brought us here. There are sinful and shameful things happening right now in our nation, in our world, in our city. And instead of just looking at all this and going, oh, my gosh, all those poor black people or saying, oh, you know, why don't, you know, whatever I think that should happen differently. Why don't I try to see things from someone else's perspective? And what's really been awesome about the Kellys being friends with the Scroggins family is we watch, say, a police shooting or something on the news. Instead of saying, hey, how come all those black people are so mad? Mm-hmm. I say, well, listen, guys, how do you think Pastor Eric and Miss Kira are sitting around with their children talking about, they're watching the same news we are. How do you think they feel about it tonight? And it's amazing how it changes the conversation to, oh yeah, because they love Pastor Eric and Miss Kira. They love, your children are some of their best friends. They, they love it. And so just having people in our lives helps us practice empathy. And I think you would say the same. I think having, hey, now we've got some some friends that are really close friends that are white people It'd be easy for you to go, well, all those white people, but then you have to go, well, the Scroggins are trying. And and that's exactly right, Jim. And I I tell you, the issue of empathy is important in leadership. You know, oftentimes I'll I'll go back and forth between the business world in which I live and and church. And one of the leadership points of, of steward of servant leadership is understanding emotional intelligence. And that's for any leadership model. And empathy is so big in that. And the reason is because people will follow those who are at least trying to understand their emotions. And the leader who is trying to make sure that the emotions that you emit are acceptable. And one of the things you've done very well, and I can always count on this, Jimmy Scroggins, is that uh, if there's something that's happening in the news around 7 a.m. the next day, I'm going to get a call from Jimmy Scroggins. (laughs) I can anticipate you're going to call. We're going to talk about what's happening. And that's one of the things that has really kept me around you as a friend and around Family Church. 
It's because I know that our emotions, we, we both feel this. And you're right. There have been moments when I wanted to be really angry yeah. with white people when I would see the things that were happening. But then I would think about the people that I do know personally who are trying and who have become friends, not only to me, but to my family. It changed the dynamics. And that's when you really get to see the body of Christ moving from diversity to inclusivity. But even beyond that, just becoming the body of Christ. And that's huge. And what we're trying to accomplish here through empathy, it's not against, not sympathy. I don't need you to feel sorry for me. I'm good. But I love that you're at least seeking and I'm seeking to try and understand how you're feeling. I think that's really important. So let me just wrap this up, yes. Eric. I think a couple of things. If you, if you, Arthur Ashe, let me use an example from a black man. Yeah. Arthur Ashe, yeah. tennis star, yeah. said, start where you are, use what you have, do what you can. And I think if I would just say this to any pastor or listening to church for the rest of us, wherever you are in this conversation, start where you are. It's okay that you're where you are. Okay. You're where you are. You can't be somewhere else right away. But then use what you have, the opportunities you have, the influence you have, the relationships you have, and do what you can. Don't be satisfied to stay where you are. And all of us need to move forward on this. One of the ways I just practical ways, I would just encourage you to make a friend. If you don't have an actual friend from another race, go make one. Invite somebody over to your home. Make a friend. Make a family friend. This won't be done in like a week, okay? This is like a years-long project. And just commit. If nothing else, you could model what it looks like when you and your family have friends of other races. You could start there. The other thing is do what Eric said. You know, as a white pastor— when something happens in the news, whether it's an immigration issue, so sometimes I have to call some leaders in our church that are Hispanic because it affects them a lot. If it's a if it's an issue that affects African-Americans, I'll call African-American leadership and get on the phone and start calling and just, hey, what are you feeling? And one of the things you're going to find is going to surprise you. It's not monolithic because this one guy will have this perspective, this other guy will have this perspective, this other guy will have this perspective. There is no Hispanic perspective. There is no black perspective, but it'll help you have more confidence when you speak and it's a way to gather empathy. It changes the way you pray. Change the way you feel, change the way you think. It is a big topic, Eric, and we've only scratched the surface, but I hope that you and I have been able to give some people food for thought. And what we've done today, listeners, is we've just tried to share with you some things that we are learning. We've been as transparent as I know how to be. And my hope is that all of our churches, starting with Family Church, can move beyond diversity to inclusivity. And I promise you this, because of the gospel, we're going to keep striving for that. So, Eric, Listeners, thanks for joining us today. Listeners, we'd love to hear your thoughts on this topic, anything you're doing, anything you're innovating, anything you're experiencing, questions that you have. Jump on our blog, jump on our website, familychurchnetwork.com. Thank you. This has been Church for the Rest of Us. Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. I'd love for you to follow me on Twitter at Jimmy Scroggins or Check out FamilyChurchNetwork.com to chime in on our blog. We want your feedback on today's podcast. Plus, we want to know what you are doing because we want to learn from you too. Hey, until next time, this is Jimmy Scroggins, and you've been listening to Church for the Rest of Us.